The Dental Brief is brought to you by Omni Premier Marketing and the amazing guests who bring wisdom and advice that you can put to use to take your business and practices to the next level. Find us on Facebook and join the conversation. Get ready to grow because we are kicking off the next episode in three, two, one. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of The Dental Brief. So excited to have with us on our new video format our, our guest today. Dr. Susan Ebert, say hello. Hi there, how are you doing, Patrick? Hey, I'm fantastic. I'm so glad that you could join us. I know you're sitting in Chicago um, this morning and have a lot going on. So we're, we're very grateful that you took so much time out of your busy day uh, to join us. So let's just jump right in. Um, you're a dentist, but you also help manage ADA practice transitions. So you've got so much uh, experience and wisdom. Can't wait uh, to hear. Uh, from you, but let's start with how'd you become a dentist? How'd you get involved in dentistry? <laughs> well, that that's the million dollar question, isn't it? Um, I, I was one of those people that said I wanted to be a medical doctor and ended up being pregnant and decided that that was not something that I could do while having a family. So I knew that uh, den I had a, my stepfather was in dentistry and he said, just give it a try, see what you think. I started dental school and I just fell in love with the profession. I think it's one of the greatest things. You use your mind in so many different ways. You use your hands in so many ways. So it's been such a wonderful journey. And you know, to go from being a private practice owner and then into kind of a public health arena and an academic arena, and then to be involved and start something brand new here at the American Dental Association, how exciting is that? I mean, this profession just opens up so many doors for you. Yeah, and we know the ADA, I mean, they're obviously always trying to offer as much value as they possibly can to dentists, the dental community, which I think is uh, fantastic uh, for those who take advantage of these types of things. Tell us a little bit about ADA practice transitions. Tell us what's a little different uh, about um, that model and how it works. Well, let me tell you, the reason I got involved was because I was listening to my dental students saying, I don't know what to do after school. I don't know what my options are. And I don't want to land in a practice where I'm not going to learn the type of dentistry that's going to make me a great dentist because they all want to be great dentists. So I was listening to that from my senior dental students. And then I would hear from my practice owners that I was associated with through the uh, dental association. They would say, I just don't know where to find a great dentist to come into my practice. I care about my patients. I care about the quality of care that's delivered. And when the American Dental Association was thinking about this product, this service that they wanted to launch, I said, gosh, you know, I really want to be involved with this on a national scale. So the reason the product was developed, the service was developed, was strictly to help dentists transition into and out of practices and help them to do it in a way where the patients and the community and the staff experience that continuity of care because these dentists share mission, vision, and values. And when that happens, it's going to be a successful transition into that practice for that younger doctor. And it's going to be a successful transition out of the practice for the owner doctor, if that's the route that they're going to take. You mentioned the mission and the values. And of course, missions in all companies can change, but values typically stay the same. And when consumers, or in this case, patients get to know values, it's really important that those values stay the same. Um, so. Let me kind of ask you this question. This is, um, I think, one of the pitfalls that a lot of dentists look for when they're buying a practice. And the reason why 
attrition kind of suffers or can suffer because they don't really match the identity of that dentist that they're replacing. Is this a common issue that you see? It really is. And that is one of the main things. That's one of our main focuses is before you ever get to an LOI, you even get to discussing a contract, let's make sure that this practice is the right one for you. So what we've developed is a system where there are lots of checklists, there are lots of things, you know, hey, you two doctors need to sit down. You need to see if you are on the same page when you are talking about treatment plans, when you're talking about the way you treat your staff. The last thing you wanna do is have somebody come into the practice that doesn't fit because then what happens? The staff's confused, the patients are confused, the staff gets upset, the patients get upset, patients leave and nobody's happy. So we wanna take care of those problems beforehand. In fact, we've created an entire, what we call an integration plan that goes through. Here are all of the things that you need to do starting like two months out from signing the contract. How are you gonna to talk to the staff? How are you gonna to talk to the community? How are you gonna introduce this new dentist to the dental community in your area? So we really have made this a comprehensive uh, service that addresses all of those problems that you're talking about. Makes a ton of sense. I mean, it's obviously gonna be very smooth or smoother with the current patients and help keep them. Also talk about the team, the staff that's in place, right? Because <clears throat> right now we live in an age where there's no issues with staffing in dental practices at all, being sarcastic. Obviously yeah. it's a problem, but this I can also see a new dentist comes in Maybe the values aren't the same. The mission is very, very different. Um, how they practice is very different. And boom, you have mass exodus of a team. And then you're trying to hire brand new. How do you how do you navigate these waters? How do you make sure that that scenario, that, that doomsday scenario I just uh, painted uh, for our audience doesn't happen? Patrick, I'm so glad you brought that up. <clears throat> Remember, I talked about the integration plan. That is a huge part of the prep for coming into the practice. We even have, you know, it laid out so far as to say, you know, two months out, the two doctors sit down and decide how the staff is going to be introduced. And then one month out, the owner doctor is supposed to, you know, if this is a, a practice transition, the owner doctor should, you know, let the staff in on this, let them know what's going on. By then, you know that, the, you, you pretty much know that this thing's gonna be a go. So let the staff in on it, give them an opportunity to vent, give them an opportunity to do what they need to do because there's gonna be tears and it's gonna be very traumatic. And then, you know, a week later, after they've had time to process, bring the new dentist in, have the new dentist have, sit, have a sit down with each one of them individually. And this is something that most dentists don't think to do, mm. but why not get to know your staff before they become your staff? Sure. And certainly to be in the office and be shadowing, there are ways to make that happen, even if you're trying to keep this confidential. There are ways to bring a, a dentist into the office and say, hey, you know, this doctor just, you know, is a friend of a friend of a friend, wants to see how the practice runs, that kind of a thing. So there are ways to really see what that practice is all about long before the papers are signed. So um, let's kind of shift directions a little bit. I know we're chatting uh, just for a few minutes um, before we started recording. And we have a guest coming on the program here in the near future, I think towards the end of the month that you, you mentioned before, that you had worked with right, or the ADA practice transitions had worked with. Why don't you kind of tell me about this guest a little bit and kind of their scenario and what they went through? Oh, my goodness. Um, can I, I can use names, right? Uh, yeah, of course. 
Dr. Kristen Soliano, she was a UNE fourth year student, and we had just launched the service in two states, Maine and Wisconsin. And it was one of those things where she was one of the very first people in her class to sign up with us. So this was in 2019. We found her a practice up in Lincoln, Maine, which is kind of in the middle of nowhere. And she was a little bit resistant to doing the rural thing. Uh, her husband wasn't completely on board. She's got a couple of children. And so it was a little bit of a stretch for her, but she talked with this owner and I really wanted to have them talk because when I looked at their profiles and the way they lined up, because we use a little matching algorithm. Uh, we also use human interaction, so it's a combination. And they just matched up on every single point. And I was like, you have to talk to this doctor. So she talked with him and I, I swear you could almost hear the, the fireworks go off. They just were the perfect fit. And turns out a year and a half later, she bought the practice. Um, Dr. Thibodeau is, is happily moving into retirement. And I don't think he is in Maine right now because he doesn't like the winters any longer. Sure. Uh, <laughs> but it was just one of those things, you know, you talk about a match made in heaven, this really was. And that's those kinds of success stories. Those are the things that keep me going every day and making this product and this service better and better and better because I want that for every single doctor. I want them to understand that that perfect, that perfect practice does exist for them. They just need to open their mind to the possibilities and then just go get it. Right. So, you know, we hear, you hear horror stories on transitions and you also hear, and I think more than it, it, more than doubles, triples, quadruples, the horror stories, you hear awesome, you know, transition uh, stories too, right? Yeah, but um, who doesn't like a really good what went wrong? Come on. Well, yeah, of course. <laughs> it, it is. It, it absolutely is. Except when it comes to practice failures. That's something that we're actually, you know, in my area of expertise, we get phone calls from practices or like my doors are closing, you know, any couple of days, can you help me? And you're kind of like, well, it's kind of too late, right? Or you, you can try, but it's, it's, it's difficult. So we're actually starting to see that. And that's not something that I'm seeing carry over on social media. I'm not seeing groups talk about practices or, or dentists, you know, losing their practice and then going online and bragging about that on social groups. So I think that people do think that dental practice is bulletproof. And it's actually much harder, I think, than ever before to run a successful dental practice. Would you agree with that? I would. Uh, I think it depends on areas of the country. There are some areas of the country that are thriving. Yeah. And there are some that are just really struggling yeah. in so a huge you, way. You read my mind about that thriving. Rural dentistry is thriving, isn't it, in most areas, right? If you yes, want to have an, an easy business to run, rural oftentimes can be much easier than being in a large metro area, right? You have zero competition in most cases. The patients are happy to come see you because you are a part of the community. Yeah. Um, you can do whatever kind of dentistry really that you love to do. And, you know, this whole myth that patients can't pay, most of my fee-for-service, entirely fee-for-service practices are in rural areas. And it hurts my heart when I think about these practices not being able to find somebody to come in just because the dentists aren't opening their mind to the fact that we've got to find the right practice first 
and then decide if you can live there. Yeah. So why do you think um, younger dentists are more adverse to rural areas? We know during COVID that highly populated cities um, saw decreases in population, people working from home, and they moved out to the country, a lot of them, people significantly, I'm, I'm here in Denver. I don't know what the average cost of a house here in Denver is, but it's really expensive. I mean, a million dollars kind of gets you a, a slightly above an entry level home here in Denver. In the city, it, it doesn't even get you an entry level home, it just gets you something that's livable. But if you go an hour and 15 minutes in any direction to Denver, an hour and a half, half a million dollars gets you a really nice home. If you go up to the mountains, a million dollars gets you a beautiful home. Um, in certain areas, obviously not the skiers, but this is kind of a picture that's the same across the country. Um, give me a couple of reasons. Give me a couple of reasons besides practices may be a little bit easier to, to look at these rural, these rural practices. Well, I think about it, it just, if you want to strictly look at it in terms of dollars and cents, I mean, if you've got a practice in a rural area, you're going to be able to pick it up for a lot less than the national average. Most practices, you know, nationwide, just throw it out there, sell for about 60 to 80% of the last year, three years uh, average collections. But in a rural area, it's gonna be at the much lower end of that. And in some cases, they're gonna go for a little bit less than that, as long as it's the right person, the doctor is invested in that, in that practice, they really want it to continue. There just isn't as much competition for it. Combined with, lower cost of living, can get a nicer house, you can have all of this, and you can pay, that just makes it so you can pay back your student loans faster. Yeah. I mean, let's be real. Right. So that's one of the primary reasons. Uh, one of the reasons I think a lot of dentists don't consider rural areas is there's still a perception out there that, you know, you're not going to get good schools, you don't have anything to do. And like you said, to your point, I mean, how many people commute for 45 minutes in a city, why not drive 45 minutes or an hour in the country without the traffic? I mean, right. what's the big deal? It's just not a big deal. Right. So those are some of the, it just doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me why people aren't looking more at these practices. It just yeah. doesn't compute for me. I think in part, they're not thinking about it. I think, you know, cities are popular. Um, you know, younger people like to go to cities. Um, but I do think that's going to, I think that's going to change. Um, if you want to run a practice and you want to, you want to make it a little easier, um, on yourself. Um, and you also want to enjoy other things besides work. Right. So I think about that all the time. This person that you talked about being in Maine, I bet you they can do more three day. I bet you they can get away with a three day work week there and have four days every, if they want to live somewhere else, four days, um, every single week they can do that, right. Or three days they can have a second home. Um, and live more of these types of lifestyles that, that people um, do want to live. I think they can take more vacations. Um, it's just not as competitive. They don't need to worry about their teams as much and building and keeping a team. So um, rural practices, I think everybody should be looking at them. I think you do too. Um, next question for you, last kind of question. Um, a lot of people that do transitions, there's all different types of experiences and, and background um, levels. I mean, how do you find someone to help you um, with this, obviously you're biased and that's okay. But if, if you were not to work with you, what would you look for on someone to buy or sell a practice? If I were looking for somebody to help me either buy or sell a practice, I would absolutely interview them. I would make sure that their mission, vision, and values matched mine. And 
you know, everybody likes a good what went wrong. I had a what went wrong. I I did the whole transition. I had somebody somebody came in, bought my practice, and it was not a good fit. And unfortunately, my patients left, uh, the staff left. It was and no fault of theirs. It was, I actually take it on myself. I didn't really understand the value in having that good fit, cultural fit. And my practice ended up failing. Mm-hmm. So for me, I want, I would want to find somebody who matched my mission, vision, and values. If there's, there's nothing, it's not rocket science. If you're looking for somebody to get the absolute highest dollar for your practice, then go find the person that that's their main focus. If you're interested in having somebody uh, who's going to make sure that the person coming in shares your mission, vision, and values, and is going to continue your legacy of care, then find somebody that that is their focus. Sure. Makes a lot of sense. Dr. Ebert, I'm so thankful for you uh, coming on today. So much wisdom. We really appreciate it. I want to encourage our uh, audience, check out your website. Um, it's adapracticetransitions.com, correct? It is. And let me just let you know, we did launch to specialists back in July. So we are building up a pool of specialty practices and associates who are looking. So anybody who's interested, we would love to have you sign up with us. Awesome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you.